In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters, we commemorate today the Sunday of the seven, uh, ecum- the fathers of the seven ecumenical councils, which is why we hear in the gospel, the, or the second gospel, the prayer of unity, Christ's, in the words of St. John, Christ's great prayer of the unity of the church. But the gospel of St. Luke, the gospel for Sunday, is the gospel that tells us about the widow of name. A glorious, wonderful story. Very precious to my heart. I've spoken before about the, the cosmological reading and understanding of the way in which life and death touch one another at this point. But we've also been exploring the divine liturgy and we've got to that point where we have received communion. And as the priest and deacon receive communion, and in some traditions even when the lay people have received communion, the instructions here in the liturgy book are, as the priest and deacon touch and have received communion, he wipes his lips and the chalice with the cloth and kiss the chalice, saying, this has touched my lips and shall take away mine iniquities and cleanse me from my sins. A reference back to the touching upon the lips by uh, Cole. I can't remember exactly who the character is now. Someone will remind me. I should have checked and looked it up. Of Isaiah. It is Isaiah. Thank you. I was almost going to say Isaiah, and I thought I checked myself, and I'm going to get it wrong. As Isaiah's mouth, his tongue is touched upon by the coal, cleansing him from iniquities. This scene of the widow of Nain is very important to us because it helps us to begin to understand how God the untouchable, how God the utterly pure and holy can become like us. It's something that we encounter a lot amongst people who are Muslim or Jew or even many other religions, even parts of Christianity where people will say, how is it that God who is utterly pure, utterly holy, how can he touch, how can he become human? Surely God becomes impure, and that's impossible for God to become human, be sullied, to become impure by encountering humanity. And in this scene, Jesus makes a a scene here, but also a cosmological truth. This is not the first time someone has been risen from the dead. In this way, Elisha and Elijah, both in the Old Testament, have lain upon a dead person, forehead to forehead, eye socket to eye socket, mouth to mouth, arms to arms, legs to legs, and raised someone from the dead. So the Jewish people 
knew that humans could be raised from the dead. And this is not Jesus' first raising from the dead because moments before in the Gospels, the centurion's daughter has been raised from the dead. And But this is not a, a mere passing by of raising from the dead. This is not someone coming to, as the centurion does, coming to Jesus and say, raise someone from the dead. This is, I, said, I think I said last week, a keros moment, a right moment, a perfect moment. Because Nain isn't a place that you just happen to be passing by. Nain is out of the way. You have to go to Nain. It's not en route to anywhere. So Jesus has to arrive at this place at the right time. He arrives at this funeral procession at the right time, in the right place, to meet this funeral procession for this miracle to occur. But he doesn't go through any ritual that Elisha and Elijah have to go through. He demonstrates his power over life and death by simply saying a word and reaching out. His word to the widow is weep no more. But he reaches out and touches death. A scandalous thing to do. He makes himself, as a human being, he makes himself impure, ritually impure. For a Jew to touch something that's dead or corrupt would mean that he would have to go and wash himself ritually, immerse himself fully in water, not just a washing, but a full immersion in water. You can see the parallels of baptism here. But a ritual immersion that has to happen again and again and again, not a, a baptism once and for all time. But as God, he reaches out and touches death. He touches the corrupt and impure. But he also says to the widow, weep no more. Or you do not have to weep. The, the phrase is just weep not. And yet consider the situation of this woman. She is a widow. This is her only son. Her life is ended. She could live no more. There is no social security. There is no one to look after her. She may have a great funeral procession, a great party of people, perhaps hovering to pick up whatever money that she might or her son might have, but she cannot inherit because she is the mother, not the child. Any property that the son might own does not go to her as the mother, but will be divided amongst the family. But no expectation that the family would look after her in her old age. She will die. She will die of hunger and starvation 
she will be thrown out of her son's home. Her son's death is her own death. And yet Jesus reaches out to her and says, Weep not. And at a time where we're all perhaps starting to hear and see in the shops and hear and see on the television and on the radio as we gear up to the great festival of death that is Halloween, fake death, that we as Christians must face up to death. Because each of these people who are revived and brought back from the dead still face death. The widow's son will still pass away. He will still die. He is raised up from death, but only in order to live again and yet die again. He's not immortal. He's not going to live forever. This is not the Christian teaching here. He's still still not around, waiting for death. He lives by tradition, he lives a full life, and then dies. What is the purpose of this resurrection? To show that Christ has power over living and the dead. But also to show us that God reaches out and touches corruption and sin and fills it with goodness and fills it with healing. We as Christians must stand up to and face our mortality with strength and resolve. Because around us, people are afraid of death. They glorify death all over the media, all over the news, all over television, but death at a distance. There will be films that are full of violence and full of people dying, but never really dying. We will see death all over the news, but we never really see them die because it's always glossed over, always blurred out of our vision. Never even good enough for X-rated or even R-rated movies. We can see everything else in an X-rated movie, but never death. Even that is not allowed. Because this society is afraid of death. So afraid and scared that it has to trivialise death. To turn it into spooks and ghosts and things that go bump in the night. So much so that we don't want death to spoil our Saturday evening entertainment. So much so that when someone passes away, someone dies in our family, that they're rapidly put away in a box and taken away to a funeral home. And we cannot see, we cannot love, 
we have to explain carefully to every single funeral director, no, we would like the coffin to be open, we would like to say goodbye to our loved ones, we would like to give them the last kiss. And the times that I have seen a funeral director trying to keep a deadpan face, trying to be polite and respectful, but struggling to understand because every other funeral that they deal with, the dead person is covered over, put away in a box and put in a crematorium as rapidly, as quickly as possible. And they are puzzled by our love and care for the person who has fallen asleep in Christ. The epistle for today starts, He who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. It usually relates to money, but I'm not going to talk about money because I want to talk about the bountiful nature of death and life. If we live our life with joy and bounty, knowing and being brave about our own mortality, knowing that Christ reaches out and fills us with life, Christ reaches out and touches our corruption, our sinfulness, and brings healing, brings us to life, brings us to new life, a life that we cannot possibly imagine. And we will die. We will fall asleep in Christ. To be resurrected to something new, to a transfigured life beyond death. The widow of Nain weeps for herself. She weeps for her son, but she wept for herself. One can imagine the next time she and her son face their mortality. They face death as into old age, perhaps growing old together. They face death again. After Christ's resurrection, we don't know this story, I am speculating, but having witnessed Christ's resurrection, they're able to walk towards death, knowing that they will be resurrected, not to the same life, but to a transfigured life, to a resurrection beyond every possible imagination. We have this tendency to think that God is separate from us. God is all holy, and God is all holy. God is pure, and God is all pure. And therefore, God cannot reach out and touch us because we are impure and we are unholy. And God can have nothing to do with impure and unholy things. And we have limited God. We have taken away God's power. We have reduced God's love. 
because we have told God, you cannot love me. You cannot touch death. You cannot touch corruption. And therefore we have rendered God to nothing. Whereas this story of the widow of Nain shows us that Christ God reaches out and touches corruption, touches death, touches sinfulness, touches each one of us and raises us up to life, fills us. It's the opposite of what we imagine, isn't it? We imagine that something is pure, and if that is touched by something that is impure, the pureness becomes corrupt and becomes rotten. We see it around us, we see an apple or a peach, and that becomes mouldy. And we think this is what happens to God if we are touched by God or God touches us, that God becomes corrupt and rotten. But my dear brothers and sisters, it's the other way round. That God reaches out and gives us the gift. He reaches out and touches us, the corrupt ones, the immoral ones, the sinful ones. And cleanses us from our iniquities. Cleanses us from our sins. And restores us to perfection. Restores the likeness of God in us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.